Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Rabbi Meir Yedid, about whose father, Chacham Yomtev Yedid, Art Scroll has just released a fantastic new biography called For the Sake of Heaven. Thank you Rabbi Yedid for joining us. There's so much to talk about this book because it encompasses so much, it encompasses history, it talks about your father's fascinating life, his strength of character, how he raised a community. So I guess let's start for our viewers who don't know much about your father's biography. If you could give a brief background into who he was and what he accomplished, and then we'll get into really some interesting things that I want to ask you about. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to be back here. Um, my father was, I love a shalom, was a was a great man who had a history probably different than most rabbis today just because of where he was and the situation that he was in. He was a, born in, in Halab in Aleppo, Syria. Uh, at the time that he was born, the community was pretty full, a lot of people, thousands and thousands of families. But it was at a time also when people started to move out leaving to the Western Hemisphere. Um, and he was, was raised as a regular Jewish Syrian boy. And at a young age, he connected to Torah and learning, and he stayed in the Bet Midrash. And there were different influences in his life that tried to take him out of learning. At that time, it wasn't so popular for young men to continue learning, but he did so, even though his entire family uh, definitely did not, and eventually they left. They went to live in Israel, uh, but he stayed alone, actually, and he continued his learning under his rabbi. His rabbi was Rabbi Moshe Tawil, Allah Shalom, was a, was a great man, and uh, my father, Baruch Hashem, has a tremendous head, and he's a very uh, strong-minded person, and he dedicated himself to Torah learning. Now, I'm telling you things that I didn't witness, you know, and I didn't really know myself until I read the book. Now, but you were born in... I was in, born in Syria. In Syria, but you but were... 50 years later. Uh-huh. He, you know, he was born in 1923. Right. Um, 19, excuse me, 26. Right. Okay. And I was born... But he in became 19, rabbi in 1950. Eight or so, something right? Like, something like that. Somewhere in the right. 1950s, at the age of 32, right, as a young, he became the chief rabbi right. of Aleppo, right? And, and I you, and I was born 1973, okay. so I didn't really see him definitely when he was younger. That's obvious, right. but uh, I didn't see him either in his uh, prime time, we'll call it. Um, and also, he wasn't a person of words, right. so it wasn't like he sat around the table and tell, told us about you know where he grew up and what happened. So a lot of this book really opens up history not only in his life, but in the life of the entire community, mm-hmm. uh, that, that even for someone like me who was born there, I, I, I never heard about it. I didn't know. Right. So I was so close to it, but really so far. I think that's why the book, Mrs. Devorah Glicksman, who wrote it, and she did an unbelievable oh, she's, job. She did a great Phenomenal. job. Phenomenal. She worked five years on it. I, w- I was going to ask you how yeah, long, because yeah, yeah. this is, it records not only uh, a documentation of his life, but really a piece of history. If anyone wants to know about what the Syrian community was like mid-1900s, 
you open up this book and it gives you the historical context with, with Israeli history and how it impacted the community. You really learn so, so much. And we, we've been saying here at Art School in our meetings that this book really reads like a novel. It's not your typical biography. There's so much intrigue and drama and you go from page to page. You don't want to put it down. One of the things that I noticed and I want you to talk about it is that your father, he was a loving Rav and he cared about the people, but he was a Kanoi by, by every measure. Did you know him as a son to a father? Did you know him as that tough, strong-minded individual? So with his family... He wasn't really like that. Okay. You know, he, was, he definitely was a strong-minded person, and you saw that in his way of life. But he didn't get too involved with our life in that way, mm-hmm. where he would be strong and fire when it came to Torah and, and if things weren't happening correctly in the community. When it came to his own family, he was much more um, off a little bit, I guess, to let us be. Mm-hmm. I, I, in fact... Something I always say the Musar to, to my uh, students when they're getting married. I say, you know, my father was, was a strong-minded person. And he did get involved. And even when we were young, he did get involved, well, obviously, when he had to. But once we got married, never, never, hands off. Hands off. Never got involved. Never, never said a word to us. It was only answering questions if he's asked. Never told us what to do. And, you know, I guess looking back, that was part of his chachmah. Right. That he understood that, you know, especially rabbi's children, you have to keep back a little bit and let them find their way. I think that's even more incredible to hear because here you read the book, he clearly possessed uh, a, a, an unbelievable strength of character to stand up and you described how he was alone. He really was alone in Syria with, with really no one to turn to and I'll touch on that in a second. But you're a rabbi today of Sharetzion, tremendous congregation. Could you ever imagine trying to pull some of the things that he pulled in Syria? It wouldn't fly in, in 2020. First of all, it wouldn't fly. So it may not be the right thing to do. Right. You know, when you read this book, some parts of it, you'll say, whoa, what was he thinking? That's intense. Yeah. How could he do yeah. that? Right. But you have to imagine that it's a different generation. It's an insulated community that had clear boundaries and guidelines, which for the most part, we don't have today. And it was one man running the show. It was one man who had to take care of the yeshiva, of the Talmud Torah, of the weddings, of the Brit Milas, of, the, of, of any Shilas that came up. It was only him. So I also try to imagine running what I'm doing without any real... Today we have so many poskim. We have, we have people who do shechita. There are people who do mila. There are people who are doing... So many different things. And here you have a person who really is responsible for every single thing that goes on in the community. Religious and even not necessarily the religious things. So it's a tremendous achrayut. It's really amazing. The book describes how he didn't have many rabbis to turn to at certain stages when he was young. Surely not. Uh, Sfarim were very limited. And yet... You also, I've seen a video that, uh, uh, about your father where you described that after his patira, you found ksavim, writings from him on virtually every segment of Taira with remarkable scholarship. So he was a goin, a, a, a world-class Talmud Chacham, and yet when you read the book, you see that he didn't 
have exposure to many svarim. So, so somehow he pulled off the impossible. What, what's the answer? So they, they had they had svarim. Obviously, they had the basic svarim. They had you know Talmud and they had Shulchan Aruch and they had the Torah and they had the basic Rishonim. They they had this, this svarim, but yes, they 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 wasn't a, a, a koilal of a hundred people learning. Certainly not on his level of learning, which is something amazing. Like like you mentioned, I try to imagine how a person by himself, more or less, is able to have the koach, the energy, and the ability to learn Yomam Valayla, especially with the community and all of its responsibilities on your head. I mean, I found, you know, we found books and books and books on every subject. And, you know, the books weren't written to be printed. That was never his kavana. You know, my father had a tremendous amount of clarity. That was his biggest chidush, that when you learn something, you chazer it, you chazer it, you see all his notebooks, all review, and clarity, give over with clarity. And that's, that's how he learned. Uh, you know, uh, it's, yeah, it is hard to imagine how someone could do that. And, and he clearly didn't care about popular opinion. I mean, he did things that were, went against the grain. He wasn't looking to win friends. Um, there are countless stories like that. One story I, I, was, I, I was reading today uh, was about how there was a group of students, I believe, and you tell me if I have it right, group of students who were going to be taking a matric- matriculation exam. He wanted to make sure that they wouldn't take it on Shabbos. Right. And he basically made them swear. Which, which, was, the, which was the only option. The only option. It was a very big nisayon. They, they were preparing years for that. It was their whole future. Right, the whole future. Their right. whole parnasa would come based on how they would do on the exam. He wanted to make sure they wouldn't take it, and he made them swear that they wouldn't take it. And there were, I think, three students who didn't show up to, to actually commit that they wouldn't take the test on Shabbat. And he kind of pushed them out. He said, if you're not swearing, then, then you can't be part of this group. And he obviously knew with Chachma that he had to do that in order to protect the community. If he had allowed their influence to trickle in, it might have compromised the quality of Yiddishkeit of the other students. Nowadays, in our contemporary Chinuch, probably the approach would be to Makar of those boys. And I'm just pointing out, you see how... Different worlds. Different worlds and different approaches. And you'll learn a lot that, yeah, there was a time and place for that type of chinuch. And today, you know, we, we do Obviously. have a different type of approach. Well, you know, you have to, we have to, you know, we live in a world of uh, the melting pot of, of, of Jews in the world. You know, there's the religious Jew, there's the non-religious Jew. He's also a type, you know, mm-hmm. there's the Zionist Jew, and then there's the, the Haredi Jew, and then there's... But we have to remember that in, in, in Chalab, which was really, you know, this book is great because it describes a community very recent, that I believe for thousands of years, every community was like that. Mm-hmm. They, they were living in their city. Mm-hmm. They had their rub. They had their things. They didn't have any communication really with other cities. It wasn't, and it was insulated. And there were expectations as a member of the community of how you behave as a Jew. So you have to imagine in all of Chalab, Aleppo, there was nobody who was... Mechalel Shabbat. Mm-hmm. In the open, no one would do that. That would be called leaving the community. Everybody came to shul to pray. Now, not everybody was a tzaddik. But there was no such intermarriage. You'll, they'll tell you maybe, they'll remember one in a hundred years. So it was a community that was really 
shamur. It was kept pure through the generations, as many communities have been through the years. What we're seeing recently really is the chidush. Recently we're seeing the Jewish world really all over the place, and we have to kind of find how to bring everybody closer. But in those, in those types of communities where you had such a purity to the community, sometimes you had to do things which were painful right. to keep that purity there. And the Syrian community, among its many attributes, is their respect for Rabbanim. And you see that in the book. If the rabbi says it, you know, you don't mess with the rabbi. It's a, one of the many lessons that I learned from the book. And I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint as a son, and we spoke previously, I know when you were younger, you probably didn't imagine that you'd be where you are today, no, no. carrying such responsibility and really carrying on your father's legacy. Which part of this book, things that maybe you didn't know before Mrs. Glucksman wrote it, do you take Chizuk from as you're leading your own flock and, and say, you know what, my father did that, I could really apply it in my position today? So I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> uh, but as you're asking the question, one of the things clearly that stand out in my mind is that my father, no matter what he was doing in his life, was learning Torah, no matter what. When he was younger, that's all he did. When he was chief rabbi of thousands and thousands of people, and he had so many responsibilities, he was learning Torah, whether it was, he used to get up three in the morning to have a, a Seder before Shachrit, late at night, mm-hmm. writing. There was no Ben Hazmanim, you know, in, in Aleppo. They went from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. There was no Ben Hazdarim. There was no such vacation time. And he was learning no matter what. And then when later on in his life where his duties were different because he moved to America. It was a whole new chapter in his life. He didn't want to be involved in American rabbinate, which as when you read the book, you understand why he didn't want to because it just wasn't his style and it wasn't the way he understood things needed to be done. He knew things had to be done differently here, but he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And he dedicated his entire day and night, seven days a week, every single week, every single month, for 30 years, just learning. Just learning. And, and, and he did a list, like the book is called, L'Shem Shemayim. There were no accolades. No one was praising him for it. No. It wasn't like he was impressing anyone because no. the people around him didn't necessarily exemplify that type of approach. Right. They weren't yeah. coming to hear yeah, a, a great shir and a sugi. Yeah. yeah, they weren't here. Exactly. Which is what makes it even more it's amazing. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I read in the book also how he, he was not going to simchas. He went to even a family simcha, maybe 10 minutes, and then he was back home learning, right? That well, was. That's, that's it. Could you imagine such a thing today? It's, it's, uh, it's an no, unbelievable no, thing. That, that's an unbelievable thing. Really. So when I take when I, when I, when I think of myself as you know, I feel I'm pretty busy in my life as well. But if you don't learn, if you're not learning, so you're losing all your koach. Whatever he accomplished, and whatever he's, you know, the, the the message of this book to me is that you just learn when you can, whether it's. Three hours, six hours, whether you're the biggest rub, whether you're doing nothing in your life, you just learn and you just see how Hashem gives bracha to everything that's happening when you're there and even after you're there. So many things today are happening mm-hmm. in our family, in our community, not only in New York. You know, he has students all over the world from the Aleppo community that you see such bracha in their life. And to me, one of the, I can't give all the credit to my father, but one of the key ingredients is that there was a man 
who sat and learned Torah. He taught it when he could, but his chief and most important job was to learn. And to me, that's the power of this book, to show how learning can just add up to things you never, you never thought about, you never dreamt of. Right. When he came over to America, do you remember, what, what kind of nachas did he have watching the growth of Limanat Torah? It must have been for him, someone who personified Limanat Torah under all circumstances, to be able to witness the growth of the Torah community for someone like him, who cared about nothing but making Hashem proud. It must have been a tremendous source of nachas to him. So, you know, when he came to this country, he really took a... a, a an active step of not getting involved in anything. Uh, but clearly, you see from his conversations that uh, he was just amazed by the mere yeshiva you know, mm-hmm. that was down the block right. from where he learned every day. Uh, he would say statements like, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Talmidei Chachamim, the Bnei Torah that are here are the source of our Hatzlacha. They're the source of our strength and he definitely appreciated Talmidei Chachamim. You know, when they came from Israel, they would talk and learning, they would ask him questions. So he had a tremendous appreciation for Torah learning. I just don't, I don't even know if he knew the scope of it. Like he mm-hmm. never went to Lakewood. He right. never, he knew about Lakewood. He supported, you know, uh, people learning and all that. But he, he was so insulated that I don't know if he knew the scope of it. But whatever he knew, clearly was a, a you know a, a new a, a new taste for him. The book itself also talks about your candidness, about your own growth. It's very interesting towards the end of the book, as you describe how you yourself grew and were inspired. Talk about that for a second, because I think people will will appreciate how you know you were open about your own aliyah and Tyran who influenced you. Right, so. You know, I, I came into this country, I was nine years old. And my, I came actually before my father. He came a year after. In, in Syria, it wasn't, you know... It wasn't so simple. Yeah, I mean, right? the, the book will tell you how, you know, we're, we're an example of one family, but there were many, many thousands of families like us where we're nine, and at one point we were all over the... All over the world. The world. And we, you never knew if you would be united. Yeah, I never, I never met my brothers, two of them, till I was ten years old. Never even knew, never knew them because they, they had left. So the, we were all over the place. We were not together at all. Um, so I came into this country and it was a totally different world than the country I came from. The values were different. The heroes were different. And uh, it was just hard to fit in. Just the language, I didn't know how to speak. But more than that, it was just a different world. And, and I, I came with my parents and my parents were like these people from the Stone Age, right. you know. The old world. The old world, they knew nothing about what was going on. So you kind of, in your mind as a little boy, kind of shelve them and say, you know, these people are not really so relevant. They don't really understand what life's about. Mm. They don't really know what happiness is. They don't really know what success is. I mean, what does my father know? You know, he sits and learns all day. You know, what does my mother know? And, and you grow up thinking that. And, and, you know, you have the heroes of the American society, you know, whether it's the guy singing or the guy shooting basketballs or the... And, 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 and that, you know, that trickles down to the community as well, where people... So all of a sudden, you, you, you want to fit in and you, and you want to be that and you want to be that. 
person that everyone is looking up to, and that's the way I grew up. You know, Baruch Hashem, I was, I was, I was, I was, I had a good head. I knew how to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that time, there wasn't that many yeshivas anyway in our community. But um, yeah, I would say I was, it was light. I was mm-hmm. always keeping the Torah mitzvot, but it wasn't. Uh, so what, what was the turning point for the you? The turning point, I would say, and I always tell you know the boys that I see, I'm very, pretty open about it, that uh, I think at a certain age, maybe at the age of 20, I started to see. I don't know how Hashem, maybe because of the schut of my father, uh, just put me in situations that the very people I looked up to, whether they were friends, that I thought were the, you know, people the sh- that... The spitz, the spitz, Or whether it was families. You know, I didn't grow up with money. I didn't, you know, we were simple people. And these people had a lot of money. I, those were the people I looked up to. And they were those... In, in, in a short period of time... I started to open my eyes and realize that the guy I was looking up to, he's not really doing much in his life. He's not so happy. The family, I thought, was the spitz of the families. You know, they don't really get, they're yelling at each other. They don't get along with their children. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at my parents. They raised nine beautiful children that all love each other. Wow. And, you know, there's no screaming in our home. There's no fighting in our home. And then I started realizing, you know, my parents probably know a lot more than I thought. And all of a sudden, you start seeing the Chochmah, and then you start looking, and you say, wow, I messed up. They know a lot more than I thought they did. Wow. So, you know, in, 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 I guess in short, that would be the, the, the basic story of it. And then I got to appreciate more right. who, who, who my father was and who my family is. Now, the people hopefully will buy the book, and they're going to read it. What, what's your hope? as far as what inspiration that they could take. Maybe we won't become the Talmud Chacham that your father was. We probably won't become a rub of a community at age 32 and things like that. But what overriding lesson or two and maybe a story, a particular story that you think will inspire people? I think that, first of all, a person must learn how to adjust in life. And I should say, obviously, the lesson of Limit Atari, which you mentioned before, right. which you said inspired you. Right. But in addition to that, what right. practical lessons? I think adjustments in life mm-hmm. are an important lesson here. You know, when you, you, you go from being the chief rabbi, where nothing happens in the city without your signature, nothing happens in that city without you. And now you come to a new world. And now that's not relevant anymore. And maybe you don't become so relevant as that type of authority. Quite humbling. Yeah, so what happens to you? I think for most of us, we will be thrown back and, and, and he said, okay, now I gotta adjust. Now, now I can learn more. Now I can do something else. This is a new chapter in my life. You know, sometimes we get stuck mm-hmm. in who we were and who we wanna be. But I think one of the lessons here is that you should just be where Hashem puts you. And wherever He puts you, doesn't matter what you were, doesn't matter what you wanted. Right now, this is where you should be and maximize it. So I think that's a, you know, a very big lesson in that. I think, um, let's see, what, what, what else could I tell you that, that would stand out? What would I want someone to walk away with? I, I mean, I, I, I'll humbly offer that, and this is obvious, that he had the courage of his convictions, even when it was unpopular. And I wonder if that's a message that would resonate with the youth of today. They're surrounded by a culture that tells them one thing, 
and we try to teach them a different thing. And sometimes it's hard when you're the minority and everything around you looks exciting. What Chacham Yom Tif taught us in, a, in an amazing way that we'll never really understand because his challenges were so far beyond anything we will ever have to encounter, hopefully, um, was just to stand strong in your beliefs. Absolutely. You so, said it, you so said it beautifully. I, I can't believe I missed that. that, <laughs> that, that was, that's really one of the most powerful things. That You're right, that we're not going to stand up and, and, and say things in public in, in, in certain ways that, again, they just don't fit today. Right. But we have our own situations where we also need courage. That, you know, some, sometimes we have to just stand up and do the right thing. We may not have to be vocal about it, but very often we get scared of doing the right thing because what will that person say? Or what will that person, oh, they have money, so they may not give me money now if I say this or if I do that. Exactly. And I'll just mention in the book, your father says at least once where he said when he wanted to make an example, he said, I'm not going to pick on the poor guy of the community because people won't care. He was going to make an example out of the prominent person, the rich person, because then people will realize that he meant business. You know, he, he wasn't trying to impress the prominent people. He was going to do what was right. And right, I, right. So I think you're right. I mean, for each individual, how many decisions do we make on a daily basis where we're thinking what's, who's looking over our shoulder and what's their take going to be and what's their comment? And of course, we have to be sensitive to people's opinions and their feelings, but that should never hold us back from doing God's will and doing the right thing. And even if we're not going to be vocal about it, but we need to do it. We need to be strong and not to be afraid. I have no doubt that your father is looking down. He's shepping tremendous nachas from what you've done, your impact on, on your yeshiva, on your kihila. It's really I'm inspired by what you do. And we hear about how your mispalim talk about your influence. You're, you're clearly carrying on his legacy in your own way with your own derech. There's no doubt that he's shepping nachas. And Amir Tashem, people are going to read this book. And they'll be inspired in their own way as I'm, you know, I have been reading the book and others who have read it. So we thank you for enabling the publication of this book. It's clearly going to enhance people's emunah, their betachin, their, their strength and belief in what we believe in. So thank you, Rabbi Yadid, for whatever you've done to make this book happen. And thank you for coming in for a few minutes okay. to talk about Great. it. I'd like to add one more thing. Sure. Maybe you could include it as well. Um, in that I think one of the big lessons from my father, Allah Shalom, is that he took every student into his mind in every decision that he made. He wanted to make sure that no student would fall. He worked countless hours in the yeshiva to make sure every boy knew how to read. Every boy knew the basics, at least. We'll always have Talmidei Chachamim that rise. But he wanted to ensure that every boy and every girl would have a chance to live a Jewish life, and he went all out for that. So I think it's another... I think it's point. a very important lesson, especially with the growth of our community and the growth of our moistus. We might start taking for granted, you know, there are so many kids, so if a couple fall through the cracks, not such a big deal. As you mentioned, your father never lost track of the yachid, even right. as he was focused on the right. klal. And, right. and I've, I've mentioned it in conversations in this room, the great mechanchem and leaders never, ever lose sight of the individual. Right. He, 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 used to, he would test, believe it or not, every year, every kid in the entire school, personally. 
And, and we read how he would, he would hold the Mechanchem accountable. That's right. If a kid wasn't doing well, he went over to the Rebbe and said, what's going on? How come last year he did well? Right. So we, we see that quite a bit in the book. And it's really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you I so much. I appreciate it. Likewise.